Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are still in the Gospels. This is Gospels part 83. Last week we saw Jesus teach this sense of readiness uh, for the coming of the kingdom and I guess you could say the age to come, the Olam Haba. Uh, He first started with a parable about storing up riches on earth versus heaven with the parable of the man that produced a lot of harvest and his irrationality with tearing down barns and building larger ones to fit it all but at the end of it he dies and it was kind of all for nothing and his priority to say like this stuff is going to eventually pass away and you need to be prepared through your deeds and your livelihood so that you can stand before God like with nothing to lack for treasures Um, in heaven yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, then he had a section about it, it gave off some very heavy Passover themes about being dressed and ready for action, uh, mm-hmm. having your lamps burning, which was really cool imagery that we could go back to Exodus and point those connections. Um, and then Peter asked, like, who's this parable for? Is it for us, the disciples, or everybody? And then he went into <laughs> another parable about <laughs> servants versus masters. Uh, and how in this particular parable the the servant was not prepared and was acting as if the the master was not going to return and was kind of living frivolously from that. And Jesus is kind of fighting against that, saying, no, like there needs to be uh, a sense of urgency that this day of the master returning could happen at any time. Yeah, lulled into... Uh... I guess you could say misbehavior. He was even abusing those left in his charge, right? Bad situation. And now we we ended the episode. It seemed like a decent place to end it, but I I can't even remember if we mentioned it. Jesus wasn't done. He's got more to say about master-servant kind of stuff. So we're going to pick up still in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. And it says, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Okay. Now, again, I think in here, we're probably going to see a side of this that's very practical and and cultural and, and very common in everyone's experience. Everybody knows exactly what Jesus is talking about, and he's not making up something new or weird. He's just saying, you know this to be true. But then, of course, I think at the same time, he's pointing to something a little bigger, a little more spiritual, kingdom-related, whatever. And then, remember, he had some parable that was about, like, regular servants, and then others that was about masters over servants. And here, it's you can't even really totally tell. 
He may be referring back to the regular servants of the first parable, uh, or maybe he's sticking with the, the, the wise and unwise managers, whatever. But at the end, he definitely is getting back to the manager. So you, you kind of see both in here. Either way, Jesus is still talking about servants. We got that part. And he's making a point for all of humanity in relation to God. And I, I don't know, I, it, this is an important message. When a person knows what God's will is, and to be explicit, where is he going to get this? This is going to be gleaned from Torah. And to be fair, the rest of Scripture too, but it's all resting on Torah. And you may also get it from the Holy Spirit. And here's the kicker. All three of those, the Torah, the rest of Scripture, the Holy Spirit, they're all going to agree. But when you know what God's will is and you don't do it, okay, that person's going to be held accountable. They're going to receive a due punishment. They're not going to receive anything extra. They're going to receive what is due. And when a person doesn't know what God's will is, but he ends up violating it anyway, so just think of it in ignorance, he, he violates God's will, well, not all good news. That person will also be held accountable. But the difference is, they're going to receive a reduced punishment. So there's some good news in there. And the, the, the takeaway, I mean, all Jesus is saying is, the greater the knowledge and understanding, the greater the punishment for failure. And maybe we should say, they won't get the benefit of a reduced punishment. So, but having said all that, Samuel, there's this question. I, I bet it's in your head. Should we then just kind of stick our heads in the sand and try to know as little as possible about God's will in an attempt to lighten our punishment? Seems like the easy way out. And you know what? That's a great answer. And it's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll see what I mean. Okay, so first of all, is that a good strategy? No, of course not. That's dumb. And here's the thing. I I sort of, you know, biased the question or whatever by saying, if you know the will, well, then you're going to get due punishment. If you don't know his will, you're going to get a lighter punishment. But here's the thing. There's a third option. There is a no punishment option. And that's for the one where you both seek to know his will as much as you can. And when you know it, you do it. If you know it and do it, there is no punishment. So now, Samuel, if you had the choice between the three, which would you choose? Option number three, Bob. Yeah, that's right. So we can infer from this passage that a similar thing would also apply to rewards, just want to sort of throw that in as a side note. It's not all about punishment, right? The more you know and live according to his will, the greater the reward also. And that I think that that's going to be true, generally speaking. This isn't a formula, but it's going to be true in this life as well as the one to come. 
So there's kind of a little bonus in there. And again, it's not guaranteed. I mean, come on, the apostles, they were doing their best and they all got killed. So, you know, so whatever. But the less you know and live according to his will, okay, the less the reward, obviously. And that's going to be true in this life for sure. And it's probably also going to affect the life to come. So again, you see there is benefit in seeking to know his will and doing it. Now, you may find yourself experiencing Gehenna or even eternal death if you you simply ignore it, right? You try to run away from it. Because you're, in effect, it's like rejecting God. Now, it's obviously the extreme case or whatever, but you see what I'm saying. It's like the answer to what seems like a problem isn't to run toward, I'm sorry, to run away from God, his ways, etc. The answer is always to run toward them. So anyway, there's that. There's this basic idea. Jesus says, uh, how does he say it? To whom much was given or or uh, what's the other, to whom they entrusted much. So Jesus is adding what appears to be, you know, one more clarification. Not only is there greater punishment for those who knowingly and willfully ignore their master's will, but also for those who have been granted greater responsibilities. They will also be subject to greater punishments as well, you know, for, for failure. And likewise, it infers a greater reward or whatever. But the thing is, you should be ready and willing. Seek to make yourself able to take on those greater responsibilities. So seek it, but don't run out ahead of God. Don't be trying to make things happen that God hasn't really given to you, or it's just not time for. And I'm pretty sure at the end of the last episode, did we talk about American Idol? The, the goofiness, people, they think they're a great singer, but they're not. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, yeah, I, th- I thought we did. You know, that's that, uh, what do they call it? Cognitive bias. Uh, I think another, that is, some people call it illusory superiority or something like that, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> they're such great names. But it, we should seek it for, for, you know, the goodness that can be had, but don't try to manufacture stuff in your life that God's not doing. So it's same sort of, same sort of thing. But anyway... There's that little section. Anything, Sam? Now, I, yeah, I do have a question, actually. So this punishment that we're speaking of between these two examples that Jesus is alluding to, the one that knows God's will and yet does not do it, and then the other one is does not know God's will and it's in ignorance of some sort, is that still within the realm of people who are let's just say disciples like following Jesus following God um is this punishment that Jesus is referencing to including those that are putting their faith and trust in Jesus and then trying to be obedient from there or is this separate from that yeah great question and and it's great because Every time we start talking about eschatology and what is to come or whatever, we can only try to glean what it is we can glean from Scripture, and there's not that much, and we can't be super certain about everything. So, like, what's in your question is this idea of, well, look, how black and white is it? I mean, if you're a disciple, is it like, boom, you are now free of all punishments? Well, that sounds good, but I I don't know. That also 
It depends on how you want to look at that. <laughs> it only sounds good if you think that you're going to be on the, the good side of that black and white equation. And then th- th- we also have this idea, uh, just something to throw into the mix, this idea of the judgment, right? A judgment, what would be the point of the judgment if all of the outcomes were already known? There, there has to be something, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, left unknown or, or uncertain in that. And, and so if we look at the picture of, of Rosh Hashanah, what we see is, well, there's a book of life, and there's a book of death, and there's a book of those who are in between. They, they, they need to somehow make amends or repent or, you know, God is going to be merciful or, right, you, all of those things come into play. If you look at it from that perspective, then you could look at this and go, well, that might, that might paint a picture of people who are disciples. They're sincere, but they have been, uh, what's a good word? Maybe let's just say very ineffective or, or inactive or something like that. And so, they may find themselves experiencing a taste of Gehenna, even though they may come out on the positive side of judgment. I mean, it's not crazy to think that that's possible. It's a thing. So you're sort of left with two basic ideas. One that says, hey, as long as I'm a disciple, I'm in and I'll never experience any punishment whatsoever. You know what? It's possible. Or it could be that being a disciple also has, you know, a bit of a a range, <laughs> or a <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Uh, it's it, it's a it's a little bit gray, right? Whereas some they will escape punishment in its entirety, and others may not. Or you might even look at this, and I know that some people they're just like this is there's no way that this could ever be possible. Could it even be that those who are absolutely positively in the book of life they're they're good to go they might even get you know a little singe or a little hot spot or it's like hey do you smell smoke you know <laughs> I, I don't i don't know we don't really know but the 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 how do i say this the takeaway from what jesus is talking about is how much do we really care? I mean, are you going to sit there and play a game with yourself that says, well, I don't know. I might get singed a little bit for this, but, you know, it's worth it. I'm just going to go ahead. <laughs> I mean, do you really want to play that game or do you just want to say, look, the simple message is God has a will. Your job, your calling, your uh destiny, plan, whatever you want to call it, as a human, is to be in sync with that will. Why don't you just not worry about the details of how is this going to work out for me, and you just pursue that with everything you've got? If you do that, the details don't really matter. You know what I mean? God is just, mm-hmm. and God is merciful, and he's going to recognize your loyalty and your faithfulness. That's, that's got to be a good outcome, period. So, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. I'm thinking it's not totally satisfying, but, you know, we just don't know everything. No, it's a classic Jewish question and Jewish response, questions that lead to more questions. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. But, you know, it's uh, it, there's at least goodness. I bet you there are people listening to the podcast that have the same question, and at least they have the goodness of knowing, well, 
I guess we're all in the same boat. I don't feel I don't feel dumb because I had this question, or you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying. There's so there's at least that. Yeah, this is so. I, I don't know. It's kind of funny. I don't know if we should say that this leads into the next verses, or if you think that he's kind of switching topics on us or whatever. But let's let's get into this because it's it's good stuff. Uh, Luke chapter twelve verses forty nine and fifty says this: I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Whew. First of all, not totally clear. Second of all, sounds pretty intense, right? So in case you haven't already been picking up on the sober nature of Jesus's words, uh, he's kicking it up a notch yet again. Now, some people look at these two verses, they kind of get the idea that they're actually two completely separate things. Other people think that they're related or whatever. I'm going to go with they're kind of related. It makes a little more sense to me. Does not make me right? But the question still remains, what is this fire that Jesus came to cast? Samuel, I know that we've talked about some of this stuff before, but I don't know how clear it was. What would be maybe the most common or proper idea of what this fire would be? God and executing his justice. Yeah, yeah. Judgment would be uh, the word that most people would gravitate to because, you know, the that fire feels like judgment. But justice is a good word because, you know, you have both the the judgment and purification and whatever. But anyway, so so you're right. This idea of judgment. And again, he's stated at different times, Jesus has already in what we've studied, that he has come for judgment, and that he has not come for judgment. So this this whole little topic, is it's still a little bit confusing, but it does seem appropriate here, at least as we've been talking, uh, his life, his message of the kingdom, his call to repentance, they're all, uh, in a sense, they're like an ultimatum for humanity. Jesus's life, everything about it, his life and death and everything, it's like this giant call from God saying, pick a side. If you are not actively, willingly, intentionally on, you know, we've called it team God, you're going to fare poorly in the final judgment, right? I mean, you I think of this line for me. Let's see, uh, that that's the book of death for you. It's not going to go well. But for those who do actively, willingly, intentionally live life on team God, okay, then that fire, instead of being a fire of judgment, it's like a purifying fire. And metaphorically, I know, I don't think we've covered this yet, but I know it's it's coming. Uh, it's like removing the dross. So in some sense, you can see how this kind of relates back to your question. There is fire for all. In some cases, it's the fire of judgment, and in some cases, the fire of purifying, purity. So there's that. So uh, interestingly, Jesus he says that he wishes that the fire was already kindled. And then you kind of have to wonder, uh, was it not already kindled? And 
I, I don't know. For me, I kind of look at it and I feel like, but this is already in process. I mean, when you think of Jesus's incarnation, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, it's like all of it together collectively seem to be the kindling of this fire, the judgment and the purification. So, I mean, Jesus knows there's yet more to do, more to come. And I don't know, somehow we get this inside look if we want to think of that kindling fire as something very specific like Jesus' death on the cross, well, you can kind of sense, you know, we're getting something of how Jesus feels about that, about what's coming. He doesn't like it. He's not looking forward to it. And all you got to do is put yourself in his shoes. Imagine that you're going to do this thing for, you know, humans, who on the whole, if you've lived any length of time, we're all pretty disappointing. And and you're going to do this thing. He doesn't like what's before him. It's causing him great distress. He is feeling in his humanity exactly the same way any of us would feel. Same situation, same knowledge. He doesn't want to do it. The difference is he will do it. It's why he came. And so it is, you know, at least some piece of that kindling of the fire. And again, it could be judgment or it could be purification. The beauty is you choose. You can either go through the fire now, being on his side, seeking his will, knowing you're going to have the occasional failure. Yeah, okay, whatever. But you are loyal. You are faithful. Do you want to go through that kind of purifying fire? Or do you want to live according to your own will, your own ways, doing your own thing, and face the fire of judgment. Choice is yours. So th- this whole section, it's interesting. We, it, it's as much about humanity when we talk about judgment as it is about Je- Jesus when we talk about you know his sacrifice for humanity. Both are wrapped up in here. But in some sense, we, we do know that Jesus is referring to what he's going to go through as some sort of a baptism. And the reason that I wanted to emphasize this a little bit more because this is one of those moments when we we need to go back and be reminded of what baptism was in that day, right? Their name for it was immersion, whatever, same thing, we get it. But it had one meaning, one understanding, and this immersion that they talk about, it even had all these special rules about it, like even to the point of what may be worn on your body while you immerse. And the reason they had rules about what you can wear is because they felt that certain types of material, well, let's not they, God felt certain types of materials, they could have in some way hindered the water from touching the flesh. So it was important that whatever you was wearing allowed the water to penetrate all the way through. It was important that the water touched every single portion of your flesh. It had to be thorough. It had to be complete. And I'm only bringing this up because it was similar for Jesus. He had to be immersed in his human experience. He had to have the complete human experience, which included suffering and death. 
So just like when you immersed in the water, you had to make sure that there was no no portion of your skin that was left untouched. As Jesus was immersed in humanity, his human experience, there, there was no part that could be left untouched. And so Jesus, you know, he's like, it's like warning and lament and everything all at the same time. And if you wanted to know just a little bit more about the human experience, suffering, whatever, you could go see the book of Hebrews. I have no specific verse for you because you can basically just read the first, I don't know, three, four, five, six chapters <laughs> and you'll get the idea. But anyway, I don't know, small little section, but seemed like a lot of powerful imagery in there. So I don't know. Samuel? Yeah, I I wonder if those who are maybe less aware of who God is, the scriptures are, what his plan is when they read these two verses and hear about this context that you've brought to our discussion today about judgment, that those would struggle with seeing God as full of retributive justice um, and maybe getting the sense that God is angry, what that kind of thing. Like, I guess how do we address that misconception and try to get at the heart of seeing it as this idea of um, fairness in God's judgment that in simplicity's sake, it's God rewards righteousness and punishes disobedience. Um, but like, how do we take that concept and not let it bleed into, well, God's just wrathful and retributive and the things, the mistakes that we make in life, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, for sure we can't solve that through the text of these two verses. <laughs> so we have to, we have to, you know, go outside those bounds. And, but here, here's a really good one, a really good one. Who are we talking about right here? Who's the main character? Jesus, God's Messiah. What's the point of God's Messiah? The fulfillment of all of God's promises that he would restore humanity, not just humanity, all of creation. So in the middle of the big story where God is actually delivering on the promise, doing the most merciful, loving thing that he could possibly do for all of humanity, in the middle of it, they're, they're reminded, but hey, he's a God of justice. It is restorative justice. That's a real thing, but it's justice all the same. It can't be that there won't be retribution for those who, in the end, simply do not choose him. And so there's this weird tension, this weird balance of, look, God made the promises, God's delivering on the promises, God's, God is providing everything except the part where you actually grab hold of it, join in, you know, that, that kind of thing. He's not going to do that part for you. And if you refuse or reject or whatever word you want to put in there, well, there really is going to be justice. And 
you know, like, like you could think of different contexts. Like when Jesus is talking here, is is he talking in the giant grand scheme? You know, people, book of life, book of death kind of stuff? Maybe? Probably? I don't know. Could he just be talking about this generation and what's about to befall them with, you know, uh, Rome destroying the temple and all of Jerusalem, really, just wiping out the nation of Israel, not in its entirely entirety, but, okay, close. Uh, so, we we have to recognize that in the same way that God is loving and merciful and fair and forgiving and all of those things that he truly is, he is also just. And again, it's uh, it's that thing that we've said in this podcast a number of times. You have a role. I mean, if if any part of your understanding or belief looks anything like a puppet show, like God creates everything, he creates humans, and now he's just, you know, dancing them on the end of his fingers, getting them to do what he wants, that is such a stupid image. And I, I, I know that some people get accused of believing things like that when they don't really, so I'm not talking about those people, but, but there are some people that the end of their understanding really is that. The logical end looks like that. And it's like, guys, you need to rethink. That doesn't make any sense. God has created us and we have a free will. And the most important aspect of that free will is to submit to his will or not. And well, that doesn't sound free, but it is. And it's, it, it By submitting to his will is where you find true fulfillment, true joy, true completion, true uh, everything, all of it. But you have to choose it. It feels like you're giving something up, but you are gaining something that is beyond your comprehension. And so, I don't know, in the, in the end, we're just left with God is or will be wrathful. There will be those who experience his wrath. And you can't get around that. And if, well, you can't get around the fact that that will be a fact. <laughs> you can get around that wrath by being loyal and faithful, etc., to him. Like, like seriously, taking it on. You, you can do that. So, I don't know, any of that, kind of addressing your question or did I just soapbox? No, I, th- I mean, I think it stimulates the wrestling inside my mind and others' mind as well. I guess what I don't want myself to be thinking in this and others potentially is when they hear that God's wrath is something that is an inescapable fact of what's going to happen at the end for some that we should we shouldn't look at God or treat God as this big dark storm cloud that is just ominously coming from where we are now to the end like i think maybe the more appropriate image is like God is going to be a judge in a courtroom uh, after you know the the timeline of the case that he's going to examine is everyone's life, and yeah. then he is going to execute 
the declaration of acquittal or uh well, what's the opposite of acquittal like uh guilt penalized condemnation that, yeah guilt guilty yeah um and that that seems less emotionally charged i guess because i i think i see judges as trying to act as unbiased as possible to to give both parties the benefit of the doubt um in their in their respected cases yeah yeah if if you imagine you know a good judge right how's it supposed right. to work right the ideal right. yeah that's exactly the right picture and the beauty of the image that you're painting there samuel is that you know and we've talked about this in the podcast before there's this idea that when you go to court and somebody you know slams a gavel and says all right you're you can go free does that actually mean that you're not guilty i mean could you not have done the very thing that you were in court for but through some twist of circumstance you're not charged that happens right and of course the opposite happens now we have to believe that that would never happen before god but that's such a cool picture because how could that happen for us like like i let's just use me as an example i could stand before god and he's going to look at my life and he's go wow paul got a list here i don't know <laughs> looks like trouble for you buddy but that's the beauty of grace what jesus has gained before god through his perfect life sinless life undeserved suffering undeserved death he has this overflowing abundance of merit before God, and God is willing to apply that to my life. So in the end, was I actually guilty? I mean, did I do things in my life that that bring me guilt? Yeah, no question. And yet I'm going to walk out of there with a not guilty sentence because some of that merit of Jesus is going to be applied to my life. Such a great image. And so, yeah, it's it's difficult for those who see God as like the dark storm cloud or whatever. I mean, I don't even know what else to say except wrong image. You have got to get that out of your head. Again, the things that we're talking about are in the midst of the story about God's Messiah. The very conduit through which all of mankind has the ability, the 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 opportunity to be saved from death and enter into eternal life with him. And so, I mean, there's a bit of irony there. If you're, if you're reading the story about what, is God, what God is doing through his Messiah, and you're picturing him as a dark cloud. <laughs> it's like, wait, he's in the middle of doing bright sunshine stuff. Come on. So anyway, I don't know. It's, yeah. But Samuel, to, to be sure, I know that people struggle with this. They look at their Bibles and they see God as, wow, I don't know, he seems awful mean. He's not. He's not. So anyway, we'll just keep walking through the scriptures and we'll keep trying to convince you and we're not going to do it right here, but, you know, that's good stuff. Good question, Samuel. Good. Anything else? No, I I think the <laughs> this whole episode is just heavy stuff. This next section is going to be... I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Jesus, he's uh what do you he's in a mood, I guess. Well, anyway, <laughs> we're in Luke chapter 12 verses 51 through 53. It says this. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? 
No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Okay, uh, Samuel? Isn't he referred to as like the Prince of Peace? Mm-hmm. Well, what about all that stuff in the songs about peace on earth and goodwill to men? Where, where'd all that stuff go? <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah, this, this fire that he was talking about, and remember we talked about it could be judgment, it could be purification. Okay, this fire, it's going to bring division among humanity. Okay, this doesn't sound like good news. (laughs) To be sure, if you choose purification, so, right, you you are going to commit your life to him, loyalty, faithfulness, the whole thing, you choose that purifying kind of fire. Okay, there is going to be a resulting peace that is for you. It for sure is going to be internal, Whether or not you see that externally in your life, well, that's a little bit of a different question. You may, you may not, but that there's there's going to be a resulting peace for you. But it's talking about peace or division among humans, and not just any humans, friends, neighbors, family even. Now, so what's Jesus saying? Well, let's start by what he's not saying. He's not saying that his goal in coming was to divide people. He's not saying that. He's simply acknowledging that the consequences of his life, his mission, the fact that the Messiah has indeed come to earth and, you know, it's going to have its, it's going to play out the way it's going to play out. Okay, this is all going to result in division. So it wasn't a goal, it's just an acknowledgement of reality. It's a simple fact. Some are going to choose him, and some will not. And this, I mean, come on, reality, this may affect even your own household. There are going to be those who are willing to lay down their lives, uh, sort of I guess we could say this is a, a manner of joining in his death. Okay? They lay down their own lives so that they may live as a new creation. They could live in sync with his will to the greatest degree possible. And so in that sense, they're joining in his resurrection. They're, they're seeking the kingdom. They're, they're seeking some of the new covenant promises even now, even in this life. So there are those, and they're going to be separate. They're going to be holy. And, and you know what? That may cause trouble. In their little sphere of influence, when they start actually living that way sincerely, it's going to stir up a little trouble in their sphere of influence. But what's important, and I think, at least for us, is we got to make sure that we're not the ones who are throwing people under the bus. Don't get all uppity and arrogant and, and pious and, and start throwing people out of your life because they're not living the way you think they should or they're not like you or whatever. 
We have to be the ones who are consistently pursuing peace. Now, it doesn't mean we endorse what they do or, you know, none of those kind of things. But we have to ensure that others can see and hear and experience God's love and mercy and justice and goodness through us. That's the important part. Now, they may still choose to dump you. They may treat you poorly. They, all of these things. Just don't you be the one doing the dumping. You be willing to absorb the suffering, the pain, if you will, of the relationship. It's in a sense, you are joining in Jesus's suffering. And so this, this is, Samuel, you're right. This is, this is heavy stuff, but it's so important because our life, again, how, how many times have we said it? Christianity, it's not a crutch. It's a high, high calling. And so here is yet another example of how we see that worked out in real life. Yeah, that's this is super interesting because I don't, the way that you explain these three verses, I don't know if I've considered it in the sphere or the focus that you went about it because previously I've always looked at these three verses as, oh, Jesus's message of his gospel is going to like literally cause fighting and arguing among households. And I mean, to some degree that might be true because of like the differing opinions and the wills that each member has. But the way that you came about, it almost seems like this division that he's talking about is a, is an, uh, like a language idiom to say that because of each person's freedom to choose my will or not, um, at the end of all things, there might be some families that are united in all choosing the same way, but there's going to be other instances where a, a household is divided because each one chose differently for the for for, the, for themselves. Yeah, and and I would go even further, like even to the division of believer and unbeliever. I don't know. Maybe I'm saying something different than you were. I feel like I am. They. In even in the same household, you will have those who are willing to lay down their lives in this way to be fully committed, loyal, faithful to God, and others who will not. Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> express. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, it's probably me. And 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 you're right. I mean, you you could even have in the same household somebody who they think I'm totally committed. I'm on board with God. Yeah, I believe in God. And somebody else in the household who's going, dude, you you are so missing out on the goodness, right? And so, the, like you talked about the internal struggle, the argument about what does this mean or what does that mean, or all of it. Yeah, I, I think I think the application of this is wide and varied, but the the point is again, it's not to say Jesus came for the purpose of causing division. He just knows that his very life, the very calling, the, all of it together, that's just what's naturally going to come from it. It's just a thing. Ah, anyway, well, let's keep going because actually there's a couple more good ones and maybe we can sort of finish out this little, I think of it as a section, whatever. Luke chapter 12, verses 54 to 56 says this. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, You say at once, 
a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Okay, I know that we've all had our struggles with the weather forecast in modern life. <laughs> Especially in Kentucky. Yeah, apparently they were better at it then. Or something. I don't know, I'm just kidding. So after all of the parables and explaining, Jesus, he, he, it's like he seems to take a different approach. You know, it, there there was it kind of felt like some some harshness or some gloom or whatever in the earlier stuff, but here it's like we've moved on to a bit of scolding even, and so he he demonstrates that the this crowd and you know I'm sure this is a very accurate picture of us today as well. This crowd has the ability to see what's happening around them, and and in some sense they're always kind of looking around and rightly seeing things. And he uses the example of weather. They can, in some sense, they can even see ahead. They know what's coming, right? Predicting the weather. Now, okay, to be fair, I'm sure that they were just as unreliable back then as we are now, whatever. But I'm just saying, it's a good example. You know, you have your little pet things. You look for this. You know what that means. You look for this. You know what that means. And so he's he's reminding them, look, you do this. You do this. And he's using this to show that they are not always looking and rightly seeing when it comes to the really important stuff. Now, you got to know, this was an agricultural society, agrarian society. Weather was super important to them, but it wasn't, you know, the really important stuff. They obviously weren't really seeing what was happening right before their eyes. And what was that? God was offering the kingdom through his Messiah. And what he's seeing in the people, in the crowds, is that they are more enamored with the spectacle of who Jesus is, what he can do, all of those kind of things. They're more enamored with that than they are with actual repentance. And I'm just saying, I think that is a mirror image of what we see in a lot of the church, at least in America, today. They weren't really seeing, or even if they were, they weren't interpreting what they were seeing correctly. Their interest was more show than substance, and so they were hypocrites, actors. Little little snap, uh, slap on the nose there. Yeah, and <laughs> what Jesus is saying is consistent with God's message, even back previously with the prophets uh, in Jeremiah chapter 5 this is just one example in the 21st verse God is speaking through Jeremiah to the people and he said now hear this O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see who have ears but do not hear um, I think that there's some similarities there and I almost want to say yeah. I don't have the reference off the top of my head that Jesus quotes something similar to that even within his own um, ministry here on earth when he was here. So it, yeah, it, it's just reinforcing that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we talked about this in an earlier podcast. Okay. I mean, I don't remember which one now off the top of my head, but yeah, I think we did. So yeah, good, good call. And I think you're right. It's, it's very similar. 
Uh, so yeah, he's he's busting their chops because they're willing to see the things that they you know are willing to see that the things that they're willing to put effort and energy into, and they're not seeing the most important thing, and that is it's it's an indictment on them for not actually giving a proper place of importance to what God is actually doing among them and among humanity and just all creation. So, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. All right, so let's do one more little section. I think that'll be a good stopping point. Luke chapter 12, verses 58 through 50, or I'm sorry, 57 through 59. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now, again, Jesus, he's using a very practical example, and I know we've talked about this a bit in the podcast before. When you, This is like a Roman thing. When you end up in a debtor's prison, you have no ability to earn or make any sort of money, and so you're dependent on other people to pay your debt so that you can get out. It's a horrible situation, but you don't get out until you pay the very last penny. So Jesus is going back to this, and he's saying, look, practical example, you guys can see and know and understand this clearly. Judge for yourselves. If they were involved in some sort of legal dispute, and if this dispute could result in them being penalized in some way, punished, okay, they all know this. Wouldn't it be wise to try to make amends along the way? I mean, the legal outcome, if this thing comes to its completion, the outcome, it's pretty predictable and it's not good. But if you can settle along the way, if you can meet some level of requirement from the accuser, you might be able to avoid that predictably bad outcome. But if you don't, if you don't bother to try to settle, well, guess what? You're going to pay all that's due. That's, I mean, it, there's nothing magical here. There's nothing difficult to understand. This, everybody understood this. It's clear. This same story appears in Matthew. If we went back to, uh, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, back in uh, chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. The context is very different there, but the, and the meaning is different there as well. But you can see that there's sort of a, a, a similar story, and that is in itself a good little lesson about Jesus probably told the same stories multiple times, and when he told them, they may have actually had different meanings based on the context. Hmm. Take that, put it in your pipe and smoke it. So <laughs> anyway, it, it, so Jesus is using the practical example. You know this. You know how to avoid the worst outcome, and you do it if you're not stupid. So, but the context we're reading in here, though, it's about people being faithful and loyal to God and recognizing the signs and the times. So, what is this? What's the, the, what's he really getting at? Well, if they can judge for themselves that it would be better to settle in like a practical, real life example, 
Well, then they ought to be able to see how it would be better that they should also attempt to settle, if we could say it that way, settle with God in like the big story, the grand scheme. And what is it? What would that mean, Samuel? What would it look like to settle with God? Um, turn back to his ways rather than your own. Yeah, it's repentance. It's not, hey, God, I'll do this if you do this for me. <laughs> no, it's you, you quote unquote, give in. You, you recognize, you know what? I need to do it his way and his way alone. That, that is how I'm going to settle with God. So in the same way as in their practical example about a debtor's prison or whatever, if you seriously repent, you may avoid the predictably bad outcome, which is at a minimum Gehenna and possibly eternal death, right? If they don't repent, they are going to pay all that is due, even to the very last penny, even the last, you know, spiritual penny, if we could say it that way. So it's a very practical little story. Now, on the whole, I, I, I just think Jesus experiences frustration sometimes. And, and I, I think we're seeing some of that in this. He's, he's making it as plain as he can make it. God is like, I'm going to say literally testifying on his behalf through the signs, through the miracles. But they're just not taking him up on his offer. I mean, even all of these crowds that we're talking about, they're, they're clamoring to be near him, right? But in all of those crowds, you have those that are more interested in the spectacle of who Jesus is and what he can do, what they could possibly get from him right then and there. But Jesus wants so much more for them. He wants so much more from them. And obviously, we're talking about repentance. We all have to endeavor to be the ones who attempt to settle with God through repentance and live a life sacrificed to him. This, I think, is the real crux of Jesus' message, at least right here in this this part. Yeah, that's so good. And I mean, I have no idea of knowing Jesus' mind because I wasn't there, but when I'm reading through these verses, I can't help but think of the imagery back in the Torah with two examples, specifically God and Abraham's relationship in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah whenever God has kind of decided like because of their lifestyle and how much atrocity they're bringing on others and the defenseless like they're gonna get dusted and abraham's like yeah hey he's he's living out this characteristic to me it seems like before god to try to make amends along the way before the judgment is executed he's like what if you find 70 people who are righteous then 50 uh 20 and 10 uh I just think that's so cool that it sh- it showcases God's willingness to hear, you know, humanity and to be able to be like, okay, like let's let's see if I can come alongside them and meet them halfway with, you know, to try to make amends with what has gone wrong in yeah. 
yeah. whatever situation. And then another one is Moses and God, whenever God gave Israel the Torah up on the mountain, and whenever Moses comes back down, they had made the golden calf. They had all, It seems like they had already forgotten about God, and God's like, well, you know, I'm kind of mad about this. Like, I'm kind of wanting to start over again. Yeah. And Moses is like, don't. Like, if you're going to kill somebody, like, kill me instead rather than these people. And God changes his mind. So, I don't know. I just, I, I like those two examples, and I think that we could take aspects of that and put it into practice in our own lives in how we repent and try to plea before God to to meet us in our brokenness and our mistakes to try to do better uh, going forward. Yeah. Oh, those are such great examples. And and I think that those uh, at least part of the reason that those examples are even in the Torah is because they are giving us insight into who God is and his willingness to try to work with humanity. He wants the good outcome. We won't all get it. He's not a pushover, but you you just you see it in him, that desire. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Well, I don't know. I think we need to stop, Samuel. Uh you got anything else before we go? No, I'm I'm good. All right, let's shut her down. Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can check out our website at www.okidokimos.com. Feel free to send us your questions or comments at our email address, okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.